Three years ago this month was the Unite the Right rally, where young white supremacists came from all over the United States to collectively oppose the toppling of Confederate statues, statues that were erected primarily in the 19-teens and 1920s at the height of Jim Crow segregation to intimidate black Americans and let us know that the South shall rise again. The Unite the Right rally was held in Charlottesville, Virginia. These white supremacists clashed with a multiracial group of counter-protesters. When the dust settled, white supremacist terrorist James Alex Fields Jr. murdered 32-year-old Heather Heyer in cold blood and had injured 19 others. Other white supremacists had unleashed extreme violence against counter-protesters, including the beating of DeAndre Harris in a nearby parking lot by six white supremacists. In response, Donald Trump equivocated, placing the white supremacists, the neo-Nazis, on the same level as anti-racist counter-protesters. This was a signal to white supremacists that they had a friend in the White House. And known white supremacists, such as David Duke, got the message. In the past three years, white supremacist domestic terror has continued on. Louisville, Pittsburgh, El Paso, with a president that has employed known white nationalists, such as Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller. He has also politicized a virus that has killed 180,000 Americans and has sickened millions of others, a virus that has disproportionately killed people of color, including Black Americans, Latino Americans, and Native Americans. Trump has used violent language to demonize what has mostly been peaceful protests as extremely violent and full of looters and rioters, and has encouraged police violence and extremist reactions from his base, not noting that a lot of the looting and rioting has been precipitated by the very police and those people from his base, the white supremacists and the right-wing extremists that have infiltrated these rallies. If you think for one second that Donald Trump is not a racist, I have a bridge to sell you. And with police brutality and the killing of unarmed and legally armed black people in America, the president has responded to the resulting protests and uprisings with the endorsement of the very law enforcement that are taking lives without due process and has gone even further, employing federal agents without badges, without insignia, to go into cities with protests and snatch up demonstrators off the street, taking them off to God knows where in unmarked vehicles, forcing them to sign paperwork under duress, saying they won't engage in protests, a clear violation of the First Amendment, and they sign them just so that they can be released. And now, with the Republican National Convention happening this week, with the GOP pushing their fear-based narrative while employing people of color to co-sign their message of hate and fear, that message of fear seems to have inspired one radicalized 17-year-old right-wing extremist from Illinois, a teenager who earlier this year attended a Trump rally 
to make a short trip across state lines to Kenosha, Wisconsin, to attend a demonstration and commit a terrorist act. This is where we are as the United States of America continues to expose its original sin. I am your host, Jay Poole, and this is Potstirer Podcast. Welcome to Potstirer Podcast, where politics, religion, and history collide, and it's not always polite. I plan to put out part three of the U.S. Middle East Relations series this week. That is still in the works, and it's coming very soon. But I could not let this moment pass without saying something. This is a bit shorter than a normal episode, because it's not a normal episode. It's one that I hadn't planned to do, and this is a commentary episode where I'm giving my thoughts on what's been happening in the national news lately. If you've been with me a while here on Potstirer Podcast, you might remember Editorial by Jay. So think of this episode as pretty much that. This is a very brief background. Please keep in mind that I'm discussing events with details that are unfolding as we speak. As I've been putting together this episode, more details continue to come out. So if I miss anything or if I get anything out of order, that's probably why. So let's start Sunday, August 23rd. Police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, were called to a domestic dispute involving an altercation. According to his family, 29-year-old Kenosha resident Jacob Blake Jr. was attempting to intervene and defuse a dispute between two women. There are some questions about that and the details are unfolding at this time, but what is clear is that police shot him seven times in the back. Some reports say he had a knife in his car. Yet, whether he had a knife in his car or not, Jacob Blake was facing away from the police and not an immediate threat. And Kenosha cop Rustin Shusky emptied his pistol on him anyway in front of Blake's three young children. While Blake survived the shooting, his spine was unfortunately severed from the shooting and he will likely never walk again. Due to this incident, protesters took to the streets of Kenosha due to yet another incident of police brutality against a black American and what would be classified anywhere else but the United States as an uprising. While largely peaceful, clashes between protesters and police did turn violent and there was property damage. On the night of Tuesday, August 25th, a young white man in Antioch, Illinois, 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse, who reportedly idolized the police and was a staunch Blue Lives Matter supporter, allegedly took an AR-15 rifle, which he was illegally in possession of, and headed out with his mother. His mother, also armed, reportedly drove him across the Illinois-Wisconsin border to the Kenosha protests. While there, Rittenhouse entered the hot zone where the tensions were highest and allegedly shot three of the protesters. Two of these protesters, 26-year-old Anthony Huber and 36-year-old Joseph Rosenbaum, 
were killed. Another protester was injured but survived. Rinhouse was at one point chased by the crowd after killing one of his victims, but was able to get away thanks to Kenosha police, who were in no hurry to arrest him. He was able to make it back home with his mother unabated and get a good night's sleep before the police in Antioch picked him up the next day. Here's what's so wild about all this. Kyle Rittenhouse is on video, allegedly saying, I just killed somebody. And he is on tape with an AR-15 clearly strapped across his chest. And police not only allow him to walk away scot-free, but they also offer him water? One cop says, as Rittenhouse and other armed civilians walk by, quote, we appreciate you guys, we really do, end quote. The 8 p.m. curfew set in Kenosha due to the protests had passed, but Rittenhouse and other armed civilians who showed up that day were not told to disperse, only the protesters exercising their First Amendment rights. The militia with the guns, including a cold-blooded killer, were thanked by police. And let me remind you, this was the same police force that saw Jacob Blake, who was facing away from them, no gun, as enough of a threat to pump seven bullets in his back. This terrorist, <coughs> alleged terrorist, Cal Rittenhouse, was able to kill protesters and the police who want to come out here and claim we should call them for help. Let it happen. Kenosha's police chief even gave cover to the young terrorist and pretty much blamed the protesters for being attacked and killed, saying that nothing would have happened if they had obeyed the curfew. The same curfew they did not expect Kyle Rittenhouse or any members of the armed right-wing group out there that night to abide by. We see you. This is why we don't call the cops. This is why we protest. This is why we kneel. At the same time this is all happening is the Republican National Convention, a convention where the right-wing notion of law and order, or in other words, rules for thee but not for me, was on full display. Speaker after speaker after speaker pledging fealty to Donald Trump. The convention focusing on an unapologetically Blue Lives Matter narrative with Black people only on display to claim they're buddies with Donald Trump and to provide cover for his multitude of sins. Mike Pence speaks on Wednesday as well and mentions the murder of a federal officer at an Oakland Black Lives Matter rally, insinuating that this officer died at the hands of protesters. But the truth is that the person in custody for killing him is from the right-wing extremist group Boogaloo. Prosecutors believe that the suspect wanted to sow anger, civil unrest, and perhaps a second civil war by targeting the cop during the protest. Of course, Mike Pence doesn't mention that part. No one mentions that when killers and violent offenders, actual violent offenders, are arrested at protests, most are right-wing extremists and white supremacists. As a matter of fact, while right-wing extremists have perpetrated the majority of terrorist acts in the United States post-9-11, these Republicans 
don't mention the threat of white supremacist and right-wing terrorism at all. In their world, Black Lives Matter and Antifa are the bad guys. The RNC painting a narrative of being the party of Abraham Lincoln while embracing the legacy of Barry Goldwater, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Lee Atwater, Pat Buchanan, Jesse Helms, and Strom Thurmond. It's as if no one at the RNC has ever opened up a U.S. history book written after 1964. Police are abusing their power, and civil unrest is brewing while the party of convicts and crooks screams law and order. The country is being torn apart, and the Republicans are living for it. It's like we're living in 1968, but not really because it's 2020 and we're in the worst timeline. And as sports is trying to make a comeback without crowds due to the coronavirus, the shooting of Jacob Blake Jr. and the terrorist attack allegedly perpetrated by Kyle Rittenhouse are leading many athletes to draw attention to what is happening the best way they can through their platform as players. Led by the Milwaukee Bucks, NBA players staged a walkout that led to Wednesday's playoff games being postponed. WNBA players did the same, as did Major League Soccer and some Major League Baseball teams. Tennis phenom Naomi Osaka withdrew from her semifinal match at the Western and Southern Open. The Detroit Lions, with the blessing of their head coach, Matt Patricia, canceled football practice, shared their experiences as a team, and held a joint press conference. I'm still not watching the NFL due to their treatment of Colin Kaepernick and that they still refuse to apologize and take responsibility for their abhorrent actions. But it's a step in the right direction for my favorite NFL team, and I can respect that. It's something to behold that all of this is happening exactly four years after Colin Kaepernick began his protest. As predicted, the usual suspects on social media, and probably real life, are upset. Shut up and play. Shut up and dribble. They should protest on their own time. I'm canceling my season tickets. My season tickets I don't really have. So on and so forth. But you know what? When it comes to athletes using their platforms to draw attention to this issue, I'm here for it. See, I grew up back in the 90s when Michael Jordan was in his prime. MJ was considered by most to be the best basketball player who ever lived and maybe even the best pro athlete. I respected his talent, but I never liked him. Sure, part of it was because he and the Chicago Bulls steamrolled my team, the Detroit Pistons, or that he helped to keep guys like my favorite player, Reggie Miller, from getting a ring. But my real problem with Michael Jordan was that he was more concerned with his money and the adoration of and the adoration of the more conservative among his fans than taking a stand for justice or for anything that actually mattered in real life. As he once said, and still stands by to this day, quote, Republicans buy sneakers too, end quote. In retrospect, he may have been giving money to organizations without announcing it, and you know what? That's great. But I don't get into the habit of counting other people's money and there's more to how you can make a difference than throwing cash at it. There's something about making your spotlight count for something. 
I look at people like Muhammad Ali, Tommy Smith, and John Carlos, men who met the moment, as former First Lady Michelle Obama would say, and did so when it was unpopular, and whose acts of courage came at a cost. Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed also met the moment, and they paid a price. Colin Kaepernick, in particular, was made an example out of and unofficially kept out of the NFL for it. This was a quarterback who once led his team to the Super Bowl game, and now, all of a sudden, he's worse than all the starter quarterbacks and all the backup QBs in the league? Yeah, no. It's clear what was up. I'm not stupid. Don't gaslight me. The acts of these men to kneel in protest of police brutality while Barack Obama was still president, mind you. And then others did the same. But Donald Trump got into office, and the guy who had always been pissed the NFL didn't give him a team after the folding of the USFL made these protests about himself. And in so doing, he made Kaepernick a pariah. At the end of the day, I respect Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed a lot more than Michael Jordan. It might not be a popular opinion, and let's be for real, it's not like a billionaire has any reason to care about the opinion of a random woman in Ohio, but I stand by it. Circling back to the events of the past week, I have said this for a while, as many of you know, but in the United States, young white men and boys are being targeted for radicalization into white supremacist extremism and domestic terrorism. Much like Islamic extremism, White nationalist and Christian nationalist extremism is much the same. Young people being taught distorted narratives and being told that essentially the American or Western or European way of life is under attack and it's up to them to take up arms and fight for it. But instead of some guy in robes on grainy VHS tapes, It's politicians and other public officials on Facebook and Twitter and other mainstream social media outlets. It's men and women in suits sitting in snazzy, well-lit studios at the highest-rated cable news station and even at the White House. And young men like Kyle Rittenhouse. And I say young man because even though he's 17, if a black kid did the same thing that he did, walked around with a gun and shot somebody, they would call him a man and they would charge him as an adult. So you know what? For the purposes of what happened, Kyle Rittenhouse is a man. Kyle Rittenhouse is a type of target that white supremacists and right-wing extremists seek to indoctrinate. And what they've done appears to be successful. And even in the wake of the violence of such an alleged terrorist, conservative voices doubled down on their radicalization efforts, even outside of the RNC. Tucker Carlson praising the terrorist and calling for more like him. Former NFL linebacker Brian Erlacher posted an Instagram message excusing the attempted murder of Jacob Blake Jr. and saying that former quarterback Brett Favre was braver than the NBA players staging a walkout because Favre played a game right after his dad died? What? Erlacher also liked an Instagram meme that said, quote, free Kyle Rittenhouse, end quote. The Christian alternative to GoFundMe, Give, Send, Go, is hosting a fundraiser for the alleged terrorist, which is unfortunately doing quite well. Looks like a lot of Americans like funding terrorism, as long as it's against other Americans they hate. 
As we get closer and closer to November 3rd, we're confronted with more and more of the darkness that has always existed in the United States. It's to the point to where we can't lie to ourselves anymore. The Great Experiment is failing because as a country, we cannot shake ourselves from the original sin of racism. It colors so much of why the U.S. is falling apart. It's years, decades, centuries in the making. Because we never truly dealt with the sin of racism, the United States is dealing with extremely high numbers of coronavirus infections and COVID-19 deaths, a disproportionate number of deaths being people of color. Donald Trump chose to ignore it and then made it seem like it wasn't such a big deal. It's our new hoax. It's a Democratic hoax. And then diverted needed assistance from states led by Democrats, probably because the virus was disproportionately affecting people who weren't voting for him anyway. And because of the wanton disregard for human life displayed by Donald Trump and his sycophants in the Republican Party, we are essentially locked into our own country. As most other countries who have gotten their COVID numbers under control won't let us in. I don't blame them. We are in a pandemic where the solutions are stupidly simple. Mask up, socially distance, and shut down the unnecessary parts of our economy until the numbers are low so we can wait out a vaccine or an effective treatment. Instead, masks have become political. Social distancing has become political. Economic shutdowns have become political and have lasted longer than they should have. If people had sucked it up and done the first two things consistently, we wouldn't be in this position. Because of that original sin of racism, we are about to lose the United States Postal Service, the only mail and package delivery service that is required to deliver to every location in the United States. People are delayed in receiving their needed medications, their paychecks and business checks, their important documents, and yes, their ballots, because the current occupant of the White House doesn't want certain people voting, those more likely to vote for Democrats. And this is at a time where the access to mail-in and absentee voting is more crucial than ever due to the pandemic. Instead of making a serious case as to why those who don't vote for him should, he wants to keep us from voting at all. Removing sort machines and drop boxes, deliberately delaying the mail, and a segment of the population is okay with that because they know that they are becoming the minority in this country and they want to maintain their power by keeping the other from exercising their right to vote. Because of that original sin of racism, we are living under a police state. We have a class of government officials which is what police are, who have a great deal of power, including the power of life and death, with no accountability whatsoever. And there's a segment of the population who wants to keep it that way, because they believe that the police are the only thing that keeps them safe from the other. The other they see as criminals, people of color, and those who support their liberation. So many argue that Oh, why are you so worried about black people being killed by police? More white people are killed than black people. And besides the fact that they 
don't seem to want to understand statistics that Black people are disproportionately more likely to die by police. They also don't seem to understand the long-term danger to everyone of having a class of heavily armed government officials who answer to no one and can take you out if they feel like it with no legal repercussions. And this week is proof positive of this. And here's the part that should give every American, including every white American, pause. Kyle Rittenhouse targeted not black Americans, but white Americans that didn't agree with his ideology. And the police chose to condone that. The police chief condoned that. Regardless of your race, if the government does not agree with your ideology, they have the right to kill you. The police have the right to kill you. Vigilantes have the right to kill you. Terrorists have the right to kill you. If that doesn't concern you, if that doesn't scare you as a red-blooded American, I don't know what to tell you. Such power always has the danger of being weaponized against anyone. No matter the true details surrounding the shooting of Jacob Blake Jr., what is not in dispute is that he was shot seven times in the back. It's reported he may have had a knife, but even with a knife, there are no what-ifs in the world that justify shooting someone seven times in the back. If you or I were on trial for shooting someone, and we claimed self-defense because the person might have a weapon in their car or on their person, or we were afraid they might come back or whatever, if we shot them in the back, that claim of self-defense would go right out the window, and rightfully so. It's no different for the police. As a matter of fact, with having the power to arrest people, there is even less reason for them to shoot someone in the back. Compare that to the alleged terrorist Kyle Rittenhouse. He walked around unbothered and unmolested with an AR-15 clearly strapped across his chest. He was an active shooter, and yet the same police force did not see him as a threat. How is a purported knife more of a threat to police than a teenager walking around with an actual gun shooting people? It's for the same reason why 12-year-old Tamir Rice was killed on site for having a toy gun, but 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse was offered water and allowed to walk away while having a real gun and actively murdering people with it. Much like during Jim Crow, there's a different set of rules based on race, a different set of standards based on race, and we fail to make progress as a country due in large part to race. Black people and those who fight beside us are judged for our pasts to the point that it becomes justification for murder by cop, vigilante, and terrorist. While this regime and those who support it can continue to break laws and get pardons instead of prison, and with a major party convention, a police shooting, and a terrorist attack all in the same week, we can see it all exposed in real time. That original sin of racism places part of our population, a greater portion than many of us would like to admit, in a perpetual state of fear. Fear that the other will gain any kind of equality. Fear that they are losing power. Fear that with a loss of power will come retribution. And our country is falling apart due to that fear. But at this point, 
it's become more clear as to why this is happening. The true heart of our country is being exposed. But my question is this, what are we going to do about it? I'll end with this. Naomi Osaka, when announcing her withdrawal from the Western and Southern Tournament, said in part, quote, As a Black woman, I feel as though there are much more important matters at hand that need immediate attention, rather than watching me play tennis. I don't expect anything drastic to happen with me not playing, but if I can get a conversation started in a majority white sport, I consider that a step in the right direction. Watching the continued genocide of black people at the hand of the police is honestly making me sick to my stomach. I'm exhausted of having a new hashtag pop up every few days, and I'm extremely tired of having this same conversation over and over again. When will it ever be enough? End quote. I'm tired too. The next episode should be the third installment of the U.S. Middle East Relations series. That is in the works and will be out in about a week or two. There's also an interview coming down the pike with Allison K. Garcia, author of Vivir El Dream and Finding Amor. Allison is a talented author and friend of the show. She's been on before, and this time she'll be talking about her upcoming book, Finding Seguridad. I'll release that soon as well, so look out for that. November 3rd is about 10 weeks away, so it's going to be pretty busy here at Potstirer Podcast. Some cool episodes will be dropped pretty soon in the run-up to the election. And speaking of the election, if you're a U.S. citizen and eligible to vote, make sure you get registered as soon as possible. Look into mail-in voting and absentee voting in your state. And if available in your state, apply now. Go to vote.org, which is informative and nonpartisan, to learn more. Thank you so much for listening to Potstirer Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast app. Go to potstirerpodcast.com slash download, and you'll see the links to the podcast on various podcast players. If you subscribe for free, you can get new episodes once they come out. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us five stars and leave a review. And right now I'm on fire on Twitter, so follow me there at PostureCast. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free.